This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your marvelous word this morning, Lord. We marvel at it, and we, Lord, uh, do pray that this word that you've given would be effective in us. Change us, give us light, and guide us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Matthew chapter 26, verse one. And it came to pass, when Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said unto his disciples, you know that after two days is the feast of the Passover, and the Son of Man is betrayed to be crucified. Then assembled together the chief priests and the scribes and the elders of the people unto the palace of the high priest, who is called Caiaphas, and consulted that they might take Jesus by subtlety and kill him. But they said, not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar among the people. Now, as we read this first verse here in this chapter, this uh, first verse where it says, and it come to pass, it came to pass when Jesus had finished all these sayings, that's a statement there. Jesus had finished all these sayings that causes us to think back about what were those sayings that he just finished saying here, which are, of course have been the last two chapters we've been studying, chapters 24 and 25. But we realize that as we look back on those two chapters, Christ has taken us on a trip, a journey that's gone right through the last days, right up to the final judgment. And what Christ has done by doing this and telling us about these last days on the earth, he's like using this as like an analogy of the last days of a person's life to illustrate how as there will be a finality of the earth, there will be a finality in a person's life. And this is a theme that he's been using throughout these, um, these last chapters here. It's all about finality. The finality of the harvest will be done. And then will come the separation between the wheat and the tares. That's a parable he gave. The man of the house will finally return home and then will come this final reckoning with each of the entrusted servants. And that's a finality. The door of the virgins will finally be closed, be shut, with no possibility of opening that door again. That's a finality. And so all of these have so graphically illustrated the truth. There's gonna be finality. 
than an end of life for each person. There's gonna come a judgment, as the Bible says in Hebrews 9.27. Hebrews 9.27, it says, "As appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. So this has been the thrust of these last two chapters here, of chapter 24 and 25, that there's a limited time in life for everyone to make sure that they are the wheat that will be gathered into the barns and not the tares that'll be burned, to make sure that they are one of the wise servants who's faithful with the possessions the good man has left in his trust and not one of the unfaithful servants that's cast into outer darkness, to make sure that a person is one of the wise virgins who takes the oil in the lamp and is allowed into the marriage and not one of those unwise virgins who, who neglected to have the, the oil and at last was found clawing the, the closed door and begging for it to be opened just one time to let them in only to be turned away. So this has been the thrust of Christ's teachings in, the, in these last two chapters here, chapter 24 and 25. It's, it's not just been an explanation of prophecy to come, but Christ has used the prophecy to illustrate how every person only has a limited time to get right with God, get saved, follow God in their life. And all this has to be done before the record of the life has been completed, the book has been closed, and all that's left is judgment. And so that's why Christ has ended his teaching of these last two chapters at the end of, verse, uh, of chapter 25, and he's now finished this great teaching in these chapters 24 and 25 and he, on the subject of the last days, and he's finished with this last verse in verse 46 of chapter 25, chapter 25, 46, and these shall go into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. That verse in Matthew 25, 46 is the final outcome of the last judgment, and the verdicts are in that verse, only two. The verdicts are either everlasting punishment or life eternal. That's the outcome of the final judgment, just two possibilities. There's no stay of a sentence of eternal punishment, there's no extension of time to prepare a defense to not have the verdict of eternal, of everlasting punishment. There's no release based on good behavior from the sentence of everlasting punishment. It's finished, it's final. And judgment is the last great event in Christ's explanation of the prophecy that he was asked about in chapter 24. And judgment is the last event than a person's life before he enters into eternity, into either everlasting punishment or eternal life. So it's interesting that there was an event that changed the life of Mordecai Ham is probably known the most because that was the man that led Billy Graham to Christ. And Mordecai Ham was called to the bedside of a dying lady named Lulu. And she was not saved. And as she was closing her eyes in death, Mordecai Ham called out to her and said, Lulu, how is it? And this, the way he described it, he says it sounded like a distant voice from another world, but the voice was lost, lost, lost. Oh, so dark, so dark. And that changed his life. 
And that changed him. Similarly, what changed me was, was Larry Rust. Larry Rust, as, you, as I've told you before, was my neighbor when we lived on the dirt road section of Willow Road out in Lakeside. And Larry was a retired Navy officer, and we were good friends. Several times I tried to talk to Larry about Christ, but every time Larry was very quick to shut me down. And so I just gave up. I said, I, just, I can't do it. But then I got the news that Larry had prostate cancer and this was before the new Navy hospital. He was in the old Navy hospital in Balboa Park. So I decided to go visit Larry. And as I made my way down to the cancer floor, which was in the basement of the old Balboa Park Navy hospital there, I remember that I had a, this Bible, you know, I had a big black Bible. I remember I had that in my hand. And as soon as I appeared in the doorway with a Bible in my hand, and you know, they kind of had windows at a certain height behind the bed, so you know, uh, sort of dark and the light was shining. But as soon as he saw me there with that Bible in my hand, he started to yell at the top of his lungs, no, no, no God, no Bible, get out of here. It was a horrible scene. And so I just said, okay, Larry, okay, okay. I said, well, that's par for the course. I'm leaving. And I thought, well, I'll give him a few days, cool off, and I'll go back without my Bible, you know. And so a few days came, and I returned to the cancer floor there, and I went to Larry's room, and Larry wasn't there. So I went to the floor nurse there, and I said, well, where's Larry? And I remember she looked at me, and she squinted her eyes, and she said, and who wants to know? <laughs> I thought, this is strange. And I said, Tom? And she looked at me and she said, oh, so you're Tom. I said, yeah. And she said, the nurse said to me, well, let me tell you something, Mr. Tom. Larry Russ died last night. But all through the night, he was screaming at the top of his lungs, Tom, Tom, where's Tom? Bring Tom, bring Tom. And I just turned away, said nothing. And that changed me. From that, I vowed to never give up talking to people about Christ because of the last words there in that last chapter, everlasting punishment. Chapter 25, verse 46, everlasting punishment. And Christ offer in that same verse, that same verse of chapter 25, verse 46, of eternal life, eternal life. So what does this all mean? This means life is short. Life is a very short opportunity to hear the voice of God speaking to the heart with one word. He, he keeps saying the same word, one word. He keeps saying, come. Just come to God. This was Jesus, Matthew eleven twenty eight. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. John seven thirty seven. John seven thirty seven. And last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, "If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink." Then he's uh, in the Old Testament. He's Jehovah Jesus. And he says in Isaiah 45, 22, Isaiah 45, 22, he says, look unto me, all ye ends of the earth, and be ye saved, for I am God, there's none else. He said that 
in that verse that he was God and there was none else that could save. So then later, as there would be no doubt as to what he meant, he went on further to say, to explain that in John 14, 6. John 14, 6, when he said, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So you marry those two verses together, Isaiah 45, 22, Isaiah 45, 22, where Christ says, be ye saved, I am God, and there's none else. And you marry that with John 14, 6, where Christ said, I am the way, no man cometh unto the Father but by me, and it's clear, it's clear. And for those who do come to Jesus to get this gift of eternal life, he promises in John 6.37, John 6.37, him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. I'm not gonna turn him away. That's how chapter 25 ends with the end of this opportunity, this grand opportunity in life to succeed and enter into the state of eternal life or to fail and fall into the state of everlasting punishment. And now that he said all of this, when we come to the first verse of chapter 26, chapter 26, verse one, it says, Jesus had finished all these sayings. And now he turns to his disciples and he speaks about a new issue, a very important issue, which is the issue of to the disciples, your preparation. I need to prepare you. This section is like uh, the, each of the opposing sides, Christ and his enemies, have retreated to their own people, and Christ has now retreated to speak to his disciples and prepare them. And the enemies of Christ, in verse three, have also retreated to speak to their own and prepare them. So Christ is going to prepare his disciples for what's gonna follow. The enemies are going to prepare their own for what's gonna follow. And this now is the preparation before the big showdown of the cross. The cross is the subject that he's bringing into view here. This is not the first time that Christ has spoken to his disciples about the cross. As a matter of fact, there was a pivotal conversation that Christ had with his disciples. And after that conversation, Christ shocked his disciples by introducing to them the subject of the cross. Up until that conversation, Christ's disciples had no idea that their master, Jesus Christ, was gonna be publicly tortured to death on a cross. But this one important conversation opened the door for the start of the disclosure that Christ was gonna be crucified. And what was that important conversation? What was that? Well, it was a conversation uh, uh, about who Jesus Christ really is. It was a conversation about who Jesus Christ is and that he really is Messiah and God, both Messiah and God. And it all started with a beautiful a walk along a beautiful stretch of seacoast, of the Mediterranean seacoast at Caesarea Philippi. And it all started with a benign entrance of the conversation, a question. And it was a question like, by the way, who do other people say that I am? 
and it transitioned from there into a very pointed probe. Who do you say that I am? Matthew 16, 13 was the conversation. Matthew 16, 13. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, whom do men say that I am, the son, that I the son of man am? They said, oh, some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto him, whom say ye that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said unto him, blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my father, which is in heaven. I say also unto thee that uh, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I'll give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then charged to his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go up to Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised again the third day. It was that question in Matthew 16, 15, Matthew 16, 15, that question, whom say men that I am? That's the question. Who is Jesus Christ? Peter, speaking for all the disciples, said in Matthew 16, 16, Simon Peter answered and said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter said, that the disciples believed that Jesus was both Messiah and God the Son. And only after they took that position, and only after that position was verbalized that Christ is both God and the Messiah, then, Matthew 16, 21, Matthew 16, 29, from that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. After it was established that the disciples believed that Jesus Christ was both God and the Messiah, then they're ready to know the truth of who it is that's gonna be killed on the cross. And after they knew that Jesus was God and the Messiah, then they were ready to be marveled by the words of the hymn, amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? That's when Christ first began to speak to his disciples about the crucifixion. They didn't take it very well. Peter couldn't handle it at all, because in the following verses, it says that in Matthew 16, 22, Matthew 16, 22, Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, oh, be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. That didn't go well. Then it says, further it says, but he turned and said unto Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me. Thou savorest not the things that be of God, but things that be of men. And then said Jesus unto his disciples, if any man come after me, let him deny himself take up his cross and follow me. Whosoever shall save his life shall lose it. Whosoever loses life for my sake shall, shall find it. And then he said, what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Peter told the Lord, 
in Matthew 16, 22, Matthew 16, 22, he says, be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. Peter was, was listening, give him credit for that. No wonder, because Christ had really just pumped Peter up for his clear statement that Christ was right on Peter, God and Messiah. So Peter's listening very carefully, maybe I'll get pumped up higher. And then he hears this deflating news about the cross. And Peter steps up and he says, Lord, put that thought far away from you. Get away from that. And what Christ heard in Peter's statement was put the intention of saving sinners by dying for their sins, put that far away from you. And Christ saw Satan behind Peter's statement. And he responded with, no, Satan, you get far from me. Not that thought, get far from me, but you get far, get thee behind me, Satan. And Christ knew that Peter was not just thinking of Christ when he heard Christ say he's gonna be crucified, but Peter's thinking, whew, man, if my leader is gonna suffer and die on a shameful cross, what does that mean for me? Which actually did come the spotlight did point on him when he was said, aren't you one of them? Aren't you with him? Aren't you with him? No, no, I don't know the man. I don't know the man. I tell you, I don't know the man. It was shameful. That's why Christ then addressed what Peter was thinking and told his followers, look, if you're not willing to deny yourself and take up your own personal cross, you might as well go home. That was the start of Christ speaking about his own crucifixion, and from that point, Christ brought the subject of the crucifixion closer and closer and closer so that right now in verse two, chapter 26, verse two, verse two, they're standing right on the threshold of the crucifixion as they hear Christ say in verse two, you know that after two days is the Passover, feast of the Passover, and the Son of Man is betrayed to be crucified. Just two days before. So verse one is saying Jesus had finished these sayings, and verse two is saying after two days, the Son of Man is betrayed and crucified. So when verse one says that Jesus had finished these sayings, that was more than just saying that he finished his message. He's saying that he's finished. He's finished the work that he had done on earth in instructing them, and he's ready now to die. And that's where verse two comes in, and leave this earth. You know, so many people come to the end of their life and they say, I don't wanna die. I don't wanna die, I'm not ready to die. I got so much more to do. Or they say, this sickness, this cancer, this whatever, it's just worn me out. I'm just tired of the fight. I don't want the pain anymore. Call hospice, the sickness, death would be better. I'm ready to die. That's not the same as what Christ was saying here as he was ready to die. A person is really ready to die. I mean really ready to die when there are three things that have happened in his life. Three things. First, that person has found in his life the work that God gave him to do to accomplish while he was here on earth. Second, that person has given his life for doing that work that God gave him to do while he was here on earth. And third, that person has actually finished the work 
that God has given him to do. You know, today, we see this in the workplace. There is a crisis today of purposelessness in life. Millennials, millennials, who's even heard of millennials? Millennials are people who've been born after 1984. Since none of you here have been born after 1984, none of you are like, the people have been, and they have a real problem in the workplace, a real problem, because they are seen or been accused of being entitled, unfocused, and lazy. Tom Cantor's messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. For other free resources, email us at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. Join our live services on YouTube by searching Friendship with God with Tom Cantor every Sunday at 5.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.